is Candy, and I'll be hosting the extras this week. Um, and I've got here with me Raj. Hi, hello, Raj. Candy, and hello everyone. We're a bit later this week, Candy. Yep. We've been at the Reach Australia conference uh, from Monday to Wednesday. So I got back home yesterday and pretty much slept for 14 hours. <laughs> I went and had Raj time at the barber. Yes. I had noticed that her hair is shorter. So as you continue, it's going to get shorter and shorter as you need more and more Raj time. <laughs> Just be bold on one of the Sundays. Well, look, Dave Kewen would like that. Perhaps he would like some strength. Anyway, but um, no, we had a good, good day yesterday and here we are today. Mm. Um, so the extras today, we've got 39 questions that came through right. on the Sunday. Yes. Uh, so... To get through all the questions, I have collated some of the questions that are pretty much quite similar. Um, and so hopefully we'll get through everything. Um, we will try to keep it to 30 minutes. We'll see how we go. Uh, but if you have a burning question that you really wanted to get it answered and it wasn't answered, just send an email to the office and we'll get back to you. Uh, on the topic of hair, we did have three questions that are related <laughs> to um, your Raj time. So first of all, Raj, have you ever had long hair? Well, define long hair, Candy, you know. So I now have a four and two. I think I've gone up to a six or seven and even a bit longer sometimes. But um, I've never had hair quite as long as you. Mm, okay. Well, yeah, I was thinking maybe long flowing locks, you know, a bit of a <laughs> you know, top knot if that's possible. No. Uh, the other two questions were about, in particular, sort of how did the conversation go with the barber? Look, the conversation with the barber went really, really, really well. I have never seen that person since. But, you know, I, I, I just have complete confidence that the Lord used that time mm. in ways that I have no idea. And I look forward to hearing about that when the Lord returns. And I, I in fact, earlier this week, um, various people came up to me and, and told me about the Lord's work through other conversations and ministries that I've been involved with. I had absolutely no idea. And so I think back to that conversation of the barber and think, my role is to be faithful, um, and if I can be effective, that's even better. Here is an occasion I'll, I'm able to see faithfulness, but not necessarily measure the effectiveness. Mm. And but in the future, I'd love to know how it went. Yeah, maybe in heaven. Maybe, maybe. In heaven. maybe. Indeed. Um, so we're going to go through the passage and the questions that are related um, to the different verses of the passage. So you know, if you're not driving, grab your Bible out, turn to Ephesians chapter four. And uh, we're going to go through the questions as they sort of attach to the different verses. So the first few questions we have are linked to verses 7 to 11. Um, apostles and prophets, in terms of the gifting, are they still relevant in our context? Or is that an Old Testament thing? Uh, this is an excellent question that actually puts us into a whole zone in Ephesians 4 that I didn't have time to get into. Um, and so it is quite possible that that those references um, to apostles and prophets and pastor teachers and so on were actually talking about the Old Testament and talking about Old Testament gifts being used to bring the gospel from the Jews to the Gentiles. Um, it, it, it may be that, it may, be, it may just be trying to highlight the importance of how God works through word ministries as a category. Um, so there's two kind of different options. And um, connected with this, you know, is prophecy and what that might look like today and that's that's a that's a really interesting question that lots of people have tried to you know work out we were talking about it before candy um and and you know the, the idea of prophecy perhaps in the new testament sense is connected with um, um applying the teaching mm -hmm. that happens in the word yeah. of god and and other passages very much you know open up that kind of idea uh, 1 Corinthians 14 talks about prophecy, but also talks about prophecy needing to be evaluated. Um, and so that opens up growth groups as we do them. It even opens up things like this podcast, which is exactly what we're doing, drilling drilling down into the Word of God, but in ways in which people need to evaluate as well. Um, um, so there's lots of things written about prophecy. I personally haven't done a detailed exercise on prophecy in the yeah. New Testament and the yeah. modern age and what that that might look like. Clearly prophets in the Old Testament is a category and we can see the biblical books of the prophets in the Old Testament. Yes. It does seem in the New Testament, obviously it's not quite the same as that because they were declared 
um, the yeah, Lord Jesus. Yeah, thus says the Lord. You know, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, mm. yeah. Do you yeah. want to add anything to that, Ken? Yeah, I think it's interesting to think about um, uh, prophecy. Certainly when I first became a Christian, the idea of prophecy to me was you know, someone coming up to me with a word of prophecy and saying, oh, you're going to be a mum in three years or something like that. Uh, so it was very much the idea of a predictive type of prophecy. Was that three years ago? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I did. Anyway, I, oh, I'm going to go into a tangent, so I won't. Um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, people people sort of having a word of a future kind of thing happening uh, is considered, you know, a prophet speaking. Uh, so, you know, for example, uh, you've got Elijah who prayed that there wouldn't be rain and there was no rain and he, he spoke about that as well. Um, but I think actually in the Old Testament, the category of prophecy, uh, often that we neglect, is how much the prophets actually applied the law of God, the covenant that the Israelites entered into with God to their current situation. So asking them to repent and turn back because of the law, because of how God has saved them out of Egypt into the promised land. And I think um, in the same way, you know, uh, prophecy nowadays is applying the word of God, applying the gospel into our lives. So I think there is some kind of crossover there for sure. And yeah, what you cool. were saying. Um, so we're going to move on to, um, apart from prophecy, thinking through gifts. How do you know whether something is a gift or not a gift? So what warrants uh, something being a gift? So if I have a car and I, I drive someone to church, is that a gift of having cars? If I move chairs, is that a gift of having muscles? What's the difference? Is there a difference between gifts and talent as well? Um, yeah. 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 Uh, there's an excellent set of questions that have come here. Thank you. Um, it may be helpful, firstly, just to, to say in Ephesians 4, the thrust of the text is about serving. Um, it's about serving the body of Christ and how we contribute to that end. And it's the word gifts that are used to equip, um, verse 12, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up and so on. Um, and, and very much part of that, but the main thrust of that is, is people serving to that end. Um, now, you can't escape when you talk about serving, the issue of, well, how do you know how you serve? And that's where the whole topic of gifts come, uh, comes in, as well as on the top end with people giving word gifts to help, I think, about purpose and, and so on. Um, now, what is the definition of a gift as distinct from a talent or an ability? I think there's a huge overlap. Mm. And, and a gift or a talent is not talking about something you do, like moving a chair, like everyone can move chairs. Yeah. Um, um, but you take you take evangelism for example. In fact, evangelism is mentioned here as one one category. Um, I actually think all all Christians should be concerned to reach the lost, mm. and the Lord will provide opportunities. Um, um, one Peter three comes to mind um, about um, you know speaking. Um, as you have opportunity. What's the mm. verse I'm thinking of there? I think it's the providing and uh, uh, answer or defense for the faith. Yes, 1 Peter 3.15 is just what's in my head. I'm not sure if that's what, where it is. Yeah, so 1 Peter 3.15, you've got um, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you. Yeah. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So so there's something mm. for all Christians. Yeah. And yet... From time to time, you see people that particularly have a gift of evangelism. Mm. It, it, and it's it's different to that more generic 1 Peter 3 category. It's different to that more generic passion for the lost. You you see people who just seem to be gifted by the Lord yeah. um, in a very particular way. And we praise God for those people. Yeah. Um, now, I want more of those people as well because, you know, we have millions of people in Australia who don't know Christ. So... There's a difference there between something everyone should be doing in yeah. terms of serving and, and something that particular people are gifted in. Now, is that a gift or a talent or an ability? I think there's a huge overlap with those things. Yeah. And, and so often when I talk to people about, we had a number of Connect cards come in asking for help to know how to serve and where their gifts are. Um, often my question into that is, where are your talents? Where are your abilities? What is it? passions is another way I get mm. into it because I find there's often alignment between passions and abilities and talents yeah. and gifts. Can I push a little bit? Um, yeah. 
So it seems to me there is like a category of stewardship in general. So stewarding the resources that God has given us. So that resource, for example, could be your muscles. It could be your car. There's like that sort of thing. But to what extent is it linked to speaking the truth in love? Which seems like the kind of end goal yeah. with all of those ministries. Like, you know, can't, would driving, a like being in, you know, driving someone to church in your car, how, like, is that a part of speaking the truth? That doesn't seem to be a spy, spy, part of speaking the truth in love. So I guess just drilling down to what the gifts mean biblically. Yeah, so so thank you for introducing that, Candy, because Ephesians 4, that's, that's very much part of it. Mm. So which then feeds back into the priority of word gifts, which is distinct from the priority of word gifted people. Yeah. All people are equal before God. Um, and and so I just I think in the sermon gave the example of Mick shaving the door, yeah. which is supporting that that activity of happening yes. in, in all kinds of ways. So God has gifted people in a diversity of ways. Um, the way He works, so speaking the truth in love, comes up I think verse fifteen of Ephesians four, yeah. and and so that is the end that we're all trying to work toward yeah. um, to to see the body of Christ built. Now, I think God's given people a diversity of gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about administration, for yeah. example, mm. which isn't the direct, but is very much a supporting thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, you want to keep going on that, Ken? No, I think that, yeah. I think that that's helpful. Yeah, and I think as Christians, um, you know, because when I think about talent, I think about the parable of the talents. You've got the master who leaves the talents and sets them out to pretty much be fruitful with it yeah. and you've got the lazy servant who doesn't do that and yeah. I think that that would be a general stewardship yeah. inclusive of say money inclusive of your gifts and ability your time your relationships your background like all those things I think are part of yeah. stewardship so I think yeah sort of thinking through gifts and, and stewardship um, there is an overlap as you've said but I think yeah there is a, a difference and you've talked about the order of importance um, so we've got a question I think you've pretty much answered this about uh, preaching the word and versus singing, um, you know, whether or not teachers are, if we say teachers are no more important than singing, but we need sort of teachers in order for something to be a church gathering around the word. What, what do you think in terms of the priority of gifts? Yeah, thank you. So I, I want to just emphasize again, when it talks about not so much the order of gifts, but the priority of how God works. We really need to distinguish that from people. Mm. Um, um, someone who has the gift of administration, as a person who has their identity in Christ, they are just as important before God as someone else who has, um, like people like you and I. But, yeah. You know, um, but speaking the truth in love and the whole building the body of Christ is, is what's on you in Ephesians 4. And that happens through... Um, word gifts in particular. Yeah. Lots of other things support that. And and so the distinction I I think I see there um, is is just exactly that. You know, there's there's a category of word gifts that in all kinds of different ways contribute to the body being built up. Yeah. And then there are lots of other things that support that. That's very helpful. Um, and I think it's hard to um, it's, that's a hard category sometimes to think about just sort of to add on because I think in normal everyday society we attach value to a person based on what they do do and what they don't do so for example your manager gets a higher pay because they're able to do a set of set of tasks that you aren't able to do yeah. right and so therefore your value i.e. your financial worth to the organization is linked to what you do or don't do yeah. and so breaking that like because that isn't actually a Christian, a biblical view of um, serving, and that we're, you know, we're not attaching the value of what someone do to their dignity before God or their worth to God or their worth to us. Yeah. You know, we're saying if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers. Like we're all linked together, we need each other, and there's no one who's more important than another person. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's definitely not the secular narrative, and I think that can be a little bit hard to switch at times. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Candy. So on um, verse 13, you've got, we've got a question there on what exactly is attaining to the unity of faith, knowledge of the Son of God, 
and you've got a uh, mature uh, manhood to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. So first of all, what does this look like? And secondly, can we ever get there? Or is this something that will only happen in heaven? And I have a great question. Um, I think it's something that ultimately only, only happens in heaven. Mm-hmm. It's a continual journey, which is why Ephesians 4 is so important to <clears throat> help us reflect on um, how ministry and life and church life looks in this world. Um, maturity is just, we live in a sinful world. Um, the impact of, of the evil one, it has, it's for now and not yet, we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, and so Jesus' death and resurrection means that he's won the victory. Mm. And in this world, we're, we're still going through this period of mature of Christian maturity. Um, and Colossians 2 verse 6 puts it really well. Just as you receive Christ Jesus mm. as Lord, continue. And this is coming at the same idea from a different angle. So, so those things, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, um, that's something that, that really will only be fully complete when the Lord Jesus returns. Mm. And in this world, this is why it talks about this. We need to keep keep working like this and keep helping one another in these ways. Yeah. Can you give a concrete example of what that looks like? to have reached the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, or be in progress of that? Um, well, when it, when we have... Uh, the last sort of phrase there, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Mm. And so I take that as, you know, perfect godliness. In mm. this world, we have struggles with one another. Yeah. Um, I'm not looking at you... To, because I have struggles with you, Candy. But <laughs> this conversation. I have struggled with myself, so there you go. Um, but we do have relational things, and mm. we do see, you know, the the body of Christ seems to be acting in ways that aren't perfect in this yeah. world. Yeah. Um, and, and it is interesting, actually, that the first bit of Ephesians 4 yes. talked about being completely humble and gentle, being patient, bearing with one another in love. Yeah. And so there's just, just one way in which we have a struggle in this world yeah. and we need to keep working and serving one another. And, and as, as it's, it's a wonderful image here, as the teaching comes, you think about the love of Christ, for example, in 1 John um, mm. and the imperative then to love one another in the Christian community and, and also to love our world. And as you then put that into practice through the gifts God has given his people and as people serve one another and, you know, say to me, you know, Raj, you said that thing to Candy the other day. Maybe, you know... You, we'll, we'll, um, <laughs> what thing was it I'm trying to think about now? <laughs> um, a hypothetical example. Yeah. yeah. And But 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 it's also real, mm. not between you and I necessarily, but between people in the Christian community. Yeah. There's misunderstanding, there's um, even in family, Christian families and so on. Mm. And so, so they're the things we need to keep working at. Yeah. I think um, I absolutely love verse 13. I think it's a beautiful verse. Um, and like you say, you know, it's it's not something that will be complete. I think about um, sort of in 1 Corinthians um, 13, it talks about love, but it says, you know, now we know in part, but then we'll know in full. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think about uh, my own progress in the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. That, um, you know, when I first became a Christian, I remember for the longest time, you know, I didn't really believe in predestination like I didn't really believe that I believe God chose me in a sense because I chose him I can remember thinking that as a young Christian and I didn't have that unity of uh, faith and of the knowledge of the son yeah. of God with other saints yeah um, but as I sort of heard the truth spoken to me in love yeah and I grew and attained to the unity with other believers of what the truth is yeah um, and and I think yeah like you were saying we're always Growing and progressing. In Thanks. That. Look, so there's another aspect of it, the, mm. the, the knowledge, which we're all still growing in. Yeah. Um, and so there's behavioural aspects of godliness and there's knowledge aspects and there's other aspects as well. Mm. So verse 15, um, talking about speaking the truth in love, what does that mean? Does that say mean saying the gospel or just saying hard things in the nicest possible way you know so is it like you know maybe someone saying to me you look a little bit fat in those jeans or something you know is that like speaking the truth in love or is it gospel what does that mean yeah um we actually heard a talk on this earlier in the week candy and and look the whole context here it's it's not about the jeans um but 
you know, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Mm. Um, this is talking about how it is we're growing in the body of Christ. And, and so it's a gospel, it's the gospel and the implications of a gospel in someone's life. Um, it's, it's, it, it's, you know, it, it's that category of things. It's, it's not the, um, the genes or the eating or the, you know, unless those things impact <laughs> gluttony, yep. you know, the Bible yes. talks about gluttony. Yes. Um, um, so that's that's the reason and love it's a fascinating thing so it may well be saying something in that order in a nice way but i i I think it's even deeper it's talking about it's actually loving to be concerned for someone someone's growth and it's loving to be concerned for the growth of the body of christ which is not just internal by the way it's also you know external as people are hearing the gospel yeah. Yeah. So, gospel and implications with a motive for for love, um, and and also just the point that was made in the talk earlier in the in the week that we heard was um, there's an element at least there's an element of of doing that in loving communities, mm. and as we are part of a Christian community together, we're better positioned to be able to do that in in such a context rather than in isolation. Yeah. And a follow-up question that we received is, what if we are speaking the truth in love and our intention to love, though, isn't isn't being perceived? So we, we say something uh, uh, truthful, but the perception is that isn't loving. What do you what do you do then? How do you think about that? Um, look, we're going to hit that actually um, this coming Sunday as it goes on, um, verse 17. So I tell you this, it's going to just expand on what that that means but what comes to my mind and candy i'll be interested in your thought on this too there's two there's two thoughts that come to mind one is we need to work hard as hard as we can to do as best as we possibly can in relation to the perception some things we can see in advance and we can we can think if if i say it this way or with this tone it's going to be received. It's not going to be effective. Yeah. Now, the illustration I was giving on Sunday was times I think that and I had that struggle, which has meant for me, sometimes I haven't said anything. Yeah. I don't think that's right. I think yes. I need to work yeah. harder to work out how do I say it in the best possible way so it will be perceived. But I also think there are other times where that's just, that's not going to be possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the perception. Yes. But that doesn't change the fact that loving the person and speaking the truth in love is still to say something as best as you possibly can, even though you know or you fear that it might not be well received. Mm. I so think, like, yeah, yeah I think, think that that makes me think of Jesus' own words, right? Like at t- um, he would speak to the Pharisees. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, rude did, vipers. Yeah, did they, did they perceive that he was speaking the truth in love yeah. I think um, but I think you're absolutely right like oftentimes um, like perception is something that we can only manage to a degree because we are not the other person I should have said that that's um, good <laughs> yeah it's, it's something we can only manage to a degree but but there is a time when we are so focused on the message we want to communicate we're not thinking about the person and the message that's being received yeah. I think as with um, or teaching and thinking through the message received is actually more important than the message sent, yeah. how it is received by the other person. So we have to work hard, you know, in all teaching to make sure that it is received the way we intend for it to receive, be received. It's not just about sort of speaking the truth, um, not thinking about the other person's own struggle, not thinking about um, how they have historically heard things, um, but we need to work hard to love the person and think from their perspective, but also then speak the truth knowing, you know, we can't control how it will be yeah. received. Um, you know, whether or not the person is willing and ready to repent, whether or not the person wants to be taught is a part of it. In Proverbs, you know, you've got uh, the, the, the fool and the wise and how they react to discipline. Uh, there will be people that don't react to, to words of truth well, yeah. and that's just always going to be a reality. Yeah. Is it also your experience, Candy, um, 
often we can get so worked up about how things might be received. I usually, not always, but usually find it doesn't go as badly as I fear it might. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think about the times I have heard hard things from my friends, I have really appreciated it. Yeah. Like I remember one time I was sort of talking about something and my friend just basically pulled me up short and said, you've got to stop complaining, like you are complaining. And um, it was hard to hear at the time, but I am so thankful that she said that to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wouldn't have been easy from her perspective, right? If you're hearing someone sort of venting about something, especially as Australians, sort of having a bit of a whinge yeah. uh, and you go, hey, you know what? That's actually not godly. And you're having a false perception about this person and you're making all these conclusions that are not founded. So yeah, like, it's really great. Um, yeah, and so it's important to be said and often it's it feels scarier than it actually is. Yeah. And I certainly appreciated being yeah. rebuked. So yep, that was Look, good. It doesn't always go like that. But, no, but, no. <laughs> but a lot of the time it does. No, yeah. yeah. Um, Look, we're moving now to a little bit more of the questions we've got on application. So thinking about verse four to six, you know, we're given lots and lots of things about our unity, you know, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope, all that. So if Christians are united by the gospel and that we are one, why are there so many different denominations? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question too. Um, look, I, I might just reflect on this briefly, Candy, because I'm aware we've still got so much to get to and some some challenging questions as well. Um, but in this world, and in fact, this is linked to a question you talked about, verse 13. In this world, um, before the Lord Jesus returns, we don't have unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Mm. And so sometimes the reason for different denominations are um, convictions still born out of an equal authority with God's word, but a different understanding on certain things. You know, baptism comes to mind is, is something over the years that has separated denominations. Um, other times we have different denominations because of human sinfulness, mm. and that's a sad reality. Yeah. But that that is a sad reality in this world as well. Um, so I just long for that time when Jesus returns and denominations will be set aside. If yeah. I can put it like that. Yeah. Yeah. So look, there, there's just a brief reflection. Yeah. And I think it's also worth mentioning, you know, just the historical basis. For those things as well so whether reformation took place um you know in in scotland you've kind of got the presbyterians you've got the anglicans um in england and things like that so that, i think there are some historical bases for yeah. those things as well yeah. yeah um on verse eight uh paul here is quoting the lxx in terms of uh, in psalm 68 you've got received gifts in ephesians gave gifts what does the new testament quoting the lxx um, mean so the LXX is the Greek translation of uh, the Hebrew text, and Paul is using that Greek translation. What does it mean for our doctrine of Scripture? Um, what does it mean for our doctrine of Scripture? Yes. So I think um, in particular, sort of, at, um, you know, when, for example, uh, I recently preached, or not recently, maybe a few weeks ago whatever preached that Wednesday women yeah. and I translated Hosea 11 which I was preaching and but yeah. I did use the MT the Masoretic text yes. as my underlying text for the Hebrew text um, but you know here Paul is quoting not from the MT the Masoretic text oh, he's quoting from the LXX which is a Greek translation yeah. of a Hebrew underlying text which may or may not yeah. actually be the MT so how does that what how does that affect our doctrine of scripture because at the moment for example um, our Old Testament text is is based on the MT and yeah the Hebrew yeah. text yeah exactly yeah yes look here is a question I um, for me it's in the category I haven't thought too much about the mm. nuance because the nuance in the way you've just explained it candy you know is there a difference between quoting from the Greek translation of a Hebrew text or the Hebrew text and I don't think there's a there's a huge distinction mm. um, it may also be and this sometimes happens in other quotes that there's a shift in tense to indicate something and and so it may also be you know just that saying this has now happened and so it opens up the whole you know, giving gifts to the Jews to reach the Gentiles kind of thing. It's not. It's no longer a future predicted thing. It's now something that's actually happened. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I still think I, I would want to try to understand the text as originally given. Um, um, often the LXS is quoted, that can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, it may be that's just, you know, what, what there was. Sometimes you and I quote scripture and we get a word or two not quite right. Mm. Um, but I still want to push us back to the Hebrew text because that's the closest to what was originally given. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a comment on that? Um, I think. Uh, look, this is uh, this is a fantastic question, and I think that there could be multiple uh, ways we can go about this, and the different implications that means for doctrine and scripture. But look, I think at least one of the least uh, um, uh, ways we can think about the doctrine of scripture is this does make us see that a translation of a text doesn't forfeit that text being the word of God. So, for example, we uh, look at. Uh, for example, Islam, and you've got the Quran, which is in Arabic, and any translation of the Arabic is not considered by them to be the Word of God. So, so in that particular um, religion, the translation itself means that that nullifies that being the Word of God. Whereas we're saying here that just because something is translated into the Greek, so for example, you've got an English Bible in front of you, hopefully, that is a translation, but it is still the Word of God. I think the the one of the at least one of the implications we could make is that, but like Raj was saying, which is the underlying text that we want to work with, um, choosing the the MT as sort of the closer variant. But yeah, there's lots of things to talk about there. You know, was the LXX itself authoritative at a point in time? That's another question. Um, yeah, hit us up on the on the office um, uh, email if you want to chat more about that. But we're going to move on now to talk about verses. Um, 7 to 11 uh, on the on the idea of gifts so if, what if we don't know what our gifts are how do you find out for yourself and how do you find out for others um great question and and look this came up a few times on sunday and my suggestion so we're moving into some of the kind of practicalities now and again i just want to say the thrust of ephesians 4 it's coming from a serving perspective um gifts Talk, I've spoken more about in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Now, they are a means by which we serve, but it's also worth saying, um, as we alluded to before, Candy, they're not the only way. So if, if there's a need to build up the body of Christ and you're, in, you're sort of point in that context, I want to encourage you to go to kind of go for it. Um, but the question of gifts, I think, is a, is a more specific way that you, you can work toward knowing how to serve in a more systematic kind of way. Mm. Um, and I, I heard of several discussions on Sunday after the sermon, and a consistent theme in those is people often don't know where their gifts are. Yeah. So one thing, people, a conversation I heard about on Sunday night was um, a group of people talking about it. Someone said something like that. Um, someone else just said, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, you serve in, you have this gift and that gift. and So, so asking someone who knows you mm. or a growth group leader, you know, I think often is a way to at least get you thinking, at least challenge your own, you know, um, um, preconceptions, misconceptions, lack of confidence mm. um, and so on. So there, there's one way. Other times I, I just encourage people, give something a go. It might be in kids' church, you know, kids' church holiday program. We heard the other day we have needs in that area. Um, stick your hand up, give it a go for three weeks, for example. Um, and then after that, you've, you've, you've tried something um, and you can reflect with, with someone else because we always tend to feel the inadequacies of what we've done. Mm. Um, but you can refl reflect with someone else who's seen you in action, perhaps, um, or someone who can just ask you probing questions, simple questions, uh, to help you get an objective kind of read on that. Mm. Um, um, and that might that might mean you continue on that. You now, in, in that example, you continue now with kids' church or you try something else. Mm. Um, there are other things I think people can learn. And often, no matter what it is, I think you can also learn it. You know, tech team comes to mind. Yeah. And and there's needs for service. The, the body, I think the body is being built up in extraordinary mm. ways for online services. Yeah. So, look, there's, there's, ask someone, give something a go, um, be willing to try something that you can be trained in. Great. 
Great. Um, so it, it, we've got some questions about roles because it does uh, feel like sort of you've mentioned a few things, so the tech team, kids, church, uh, leading in growth group, etc. What about non-formal serving gifts? Is that uh, like sort of totally. not necessarily a role? Can you speak a little bit more yeah, into that? What does yeah. that look like? How do you think through that? Um, I think... Um, I tried to open up this category on Sunday as mm. I preached on this, but there's a whole category often called Ministry of the Pew, which is all about informal roles. And and um, the encouragement, I think Night Church actually had a spot on this a few weeks ago, and just the value of being early and mm. looking. Um, um, we find in church live visitors often are very on time. Yeah. And so being early and looking for those who might look a bit lost and engaging them in a conversation. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. You know, yeah. after church, same kind of thing. But even going the next step, so many people over the years, Candy, have talked to me about the power of a personal invitation they've received to lunch or dinner or whatever it is. Um, now, there's that's Ephesians 4 in action. Wonderful. Um, and a separate question on serving. Uh, how do we feel valued in the church if we don't feel like we're carrying our weight slash using our gifts? Um, a good question again. I, I, I want to say, firstly, we shouldn't ever feel valued because of what we do, mm. be it serving in an Ephesians 4 sense or some aspect of godliness or whatever it is. Our identity comes in Christ. Our value comes because Christ died and rose for us. Um, so that's the first thing I want to say. Mm. The second thing, though, I want to say is um, behind the question, maybe the Spirit is at work just in saying to someone, um, how can you serve? Mm. That's a good thing. And mm. I just want to encourage people who feel like that, start the journey. It's a wonderful thing to be able to see... Um, um, you contributing in some small way to someone growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It really yeah. provides incredible joy um, and satisfaction and you just see the body of Christ working together and can think, I'm part of that. Yeah. So, yeah, would That's love great. to see you join us. Um, so thinking more on the example of serving even though you're exhausted. So, you know, we've got like the Raj time, you've you've gone through two weeks, you're really tired. Um, on, a, on kind of a bigger picture thing, how do you find a balance between being willing to serve over and over again and reserving energy for the long term to avoid burnout? How do yeah. you think through that balance? Um, excellent question again. And look, some people at St Paul's are in that category where you just need to put in place more systematic things. The example I gave actually highlighted that tension yeah. and that balance. Yeah. And I did the same yesterday. We were at a conference earlier in the week, tired yesterday, went and had Raj time. <laughs> I planned to. I built that in. Nice haircut. Um, yep. um, my wife also said to me, don't come home until you've got a haircut. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nicole. Looking after Raj. Um, um, but also in the morning, her and I had time out. You mm. know, yesterday, Thursday is normally our day off. And, and so, we, so building in routines that allow you to be recharged and replenished is really yeah. important. Yeah. Now, if on the walk we had by, you know, where we were, we ran into someone and there was a need, mm. we would have, of course, responded to that. Yeah. Um, but but there's just building things in for sustainability. Yeah. Um, but also just responding to the opportunities as they arise. Yeah. So I think both things are important. That's where holidays come in. That's where days off come in. Um, there, there is a spectrum. Some people go too far either side. Yeah. And some people um, do too much. Yeah. Need to build more rest in for yeah. long term. But other people can go the other way as yeah. well. And, and COVID is a time where I think we've all broken routines and there is a risk of... Um, getting used to life being full with other things and and just losing the privilege of being involved in building the body. Yeah. I think um, I personally am someone who tends to go all out. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, yeah, biblically, there's sort of um, 
both warrants for both things. You know, you've got Paul saying he's poured out like a drink offering. You know, you've got Paul saying um, that he would spend and be spent for the Corinthians. You know, you've got kind of Paul's life. You know, you sort of read about what he's gone through to carry the gospel out. It is really um, all out. Like, it's pretty nutty, you know, if you think about what, what Paul does. Um, so you've got, I think... Uh, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about in view of the current distress and he talks about marriage and singleness because we are really living in a moment where, you know, it's sort of like the charges are set on a building. Yeah. You've pressed the button, it's going to detonate. And you know the moment before the building collapses, like this is the moment between Christ coming and his second coming and so the priority of the gospel. But then at the same time knowing that, so there's that, but at the same time recognizing our creational like we have been created, we're not God. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's that's a good way to put it. Yeah, like exactly what you're saying, you know, putting in those systems in place, recognizing we're not God. I recommend um Christopher Ash's book, Zeal Without Burnout. Yes. That's a that's a good one um to look at. Now with looking now moving towards um, some questions around women and ministry. Uh, so I'm gonna just read this one out. And um, so many women have gift of preaching but are forced to be dormant. It seems inconsistent with the goal being unity when half the church is excluded from using their gifts in the same way men can. Raj, just speak into this. Isn't that half hour up, Ken? <laughs> Um, no. So some of you might be listening to the episode, just, you know, waiting for this question to come yeah, out. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's the case for some. And look, yeah. I did on Sunday night say that I would just reflect yes. on this question a bit. And I'm thankful you're here, actually, Candy, to hear your thoughts as well. Mm. Um, look, I just I just want to acknowledge, I think, this particular issue, uh, the question he's preaching, but it manifests itself in other ways as well. I just want to acknowledge this is a very real and painful issue for many. Mm. Um um, now, it's it's certainly the case, you take men, it's not the case that every man is gifted to preach. Um, I'm sure it's not the case that every woman is gifted to preach, mm. and yet for some, in fact, you're one of them, Candy, you are. Um, Ephesians 4 is really helpful, just just as we come into it. Um, remember the, the category, it's, it's more about serving, and gifts then help us understand how we can serve. And it talks about um, the purpose... Um, which is to build the body of Christ. Now, I'm looking for the verse that talked about the threefold kind of key. Um, uh, you mean the goal? Uh, sorry, the, the end the goal? goal the verse end goal, 13? Verse yeah. 13. Um, yes, so until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now, carried within that is... We need wisdom to know when we use a gift. Mm. I gave the, um, I was going to say flippant, but actually it was a very real example of someone who talked to me years ago now about playing the organ. Yeah. He had a gift of playing the organ. I wish I had that gift. I'm not musical at all, but um, um, he had the gift of playing the organ. I think he needed to think about when it was helpful to mm. use that gift. Mm. And... He came to me and was very adamant about using his gift mm. in a particular way. Um, and and playing the organ, it would not have been helpful. Yeah. Church didn't even have an organ, but it, it just would not have been helpful for mm. that particular congregation mm. um, with the style of music, with the type of congregation it was. Mm. Um, now, there's playing the organ. You can, you can ask the same, apply the same logic to any gift that someone has. Um, including the the ability of women to teach. Um, and we need to use gifts when they're helpful, and we also need to use gifts in godly ways um, and in ways that are promoted by the Word of God. Um, so uh, for me and Candy, you and I have been talking in other contexts about you know the need for us here at St Paul's just to... Um, talk more into this space mm. and, and we're planning on ways and doing that um, in the future uh, 1 Timothy 2 would be the clearest place where it puts it negatively um, um, in terms of women and preaching and, and so on um, but in other parts of the Bible it, it really wants to uphold complementarian ministry where roles are male and female roles are complementary um, and so it does want to see men lead in particular ways. 
Um, now, it, it talks about all kinds of things that women do and benefit the body of Christ. Um, and there's just a myriad of those ways. Um, you mentioned just a moment ago, actually, Candy, you were teaching Wednesday Women recently, and mm. I've heard wonderful feedback about that, so well done. Um, but look, there, there's just a couple of things just at this point in time, just to, we, we do need to talk, I think, and have just more more opportunities um, to engage in this question, which which I understand is very difficult for many. Um, but do you want to add to that, Candy? You, you are a woman who is gifted mm-hmm. in preaching. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, again, I want to sort of acknowledge that this is... Um, like you know talking about that value of the self and and how we think of ourselves um versus what we do and and the relationship between those two things i've alluded to sort of talking about the job and you know the manager and the self and even with a question about serving which is i don't feel like i'm pulling my weight Uh, i think implied in that is i need to do stuff to pull my weight because that's kind of how i i know that i am sort of valued in a sense um, and so I think that that uh, meritocracy uh, in, in our world is very strong. And, and with that, um, the feeling of I'm not valued because I'm not allowed to do certain things. Like for women, I think, sort of preaching up front. Um, uh, so yeah. two mixed congregations you're talking about. Yes, yes, yeah, two mixed yeah. congregations. Yeah, thanks, Raj, for that clarification. But yeah, I, I just echo what you say about thinking through um, in serving, not just in preaching, but in every context, it's about the other. It's about the other person. So um, like what you were saying, Raj, with the organ, um, person sort of playing the organ, um, what is actually helpful? And I think that's sort of a similar uh, question that needs to be asked with women preaching and how do we ensure that both men and women flourish? Um, yeah. and, and I don't think that comes from sort of women preaching um, up front to a mixed congregation. Um, so on another note, uh, what about women service leading here in St. Paul's? Can you speak into that one? So we've got a question saying, look, I understand about women and preaching. I'm sold on that with preaching mixed congregation. But what about, you know, service leading? Yeah. And you could ask the same question of a whole bunch of things. Mm. And um, um, I think that question is a more uh, more complex question even than the preaching question. Mm. And... Um, if I could put it simply I really want to encourage men to take leadership Mm. Um, and there are particular things that we do that um, I I just really want to encourage men in Um, that is one of them Mm. But I want to say it's complex. Um, there are some people who have, in fact, just earlier this week, I was talking with a woman who said to me she would never service lead because she thinks that is teaching. Mm. So there's some people who have that view, and there's some people at St. Paul's who have that view. And then there's other people, you know, service leading is far more akin to the praying and prophesying that mm. 1 Corinthians 11. Yeah. Um, promotes and encourages even just assumes mm. so we do need to just work together in working that out as a church you know fellowship and I think um, this particular extras podcast is not the time to go through all of the different things there but we are talking about other things candy when um, I think we're in day 60 now for me and maybe <laughs> about, you know 80 for you or something like that yes so but we are talking about some things just there's there's a more holistic discussion that needs to be had about complementarianism and where it comes from in the Bible mm. and and what it looks like um, acknowledging that there are people who take different positions and yet it is an area of church life where we do need to um, have some clarity I think 
yeah. what it looks like at St Paul's. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, I did start it by saying, let's try to do 30 minutes. And now we're on <laughs> minute 49. So sorry, we've, we've blown out a little bit uh, or a, a, a lot. Um, last question. Um, in your introduction, you talked about sort of persecution. If comfort is dangerous for Christians, should we be thinking carefully about lobbying governments to make life easier for Christians and the gospel more acceptable? It's a great question and, and one I think that is, you know, quite vexed. I, in fact, just yesterday was talking to our state local member. Um, um, I, I think governments need to understand the place of Christians in our community and um, um, enable us to keep having opportunities to teach or, or to serve the community but also to help people understand the gospel. And we were talking before about this a little bit, Candy, and I'm sorry, I acknowledge for time as well, so I'll keep it brief. But there is a sense to which um, having a place in our community enables us to talk about the Lord Jesus. And we've seen that in recent years, actually, mm. and the, the pressure there is in our society. So I, I, I certainly want to be involved and am involved in talking with people I don't necessarily see it as lobbying, but I guess it is in some ways. Um, but my aim is not to make life easier for Christians. My aim is to, it's about platforms for the gospel to go forward. Um, I also think Christians do enormous good in our society. And I've talked to, to politicians over the years, but in fact some of them have said to me, Raj, the only people who think Christians are not part of our community are Christians. Ha <laughs> ha. There you go. Yeah, and yeah. they've said, why is that? Mm. And and we are part of a community. We, I mean, at St Paul's, we run ESL classes of 60 or 70 people. We have a waiting yeah. list. and Yeah, I know. have to say, certainly reading the news, I don't feel. Like, when I read, yeah. I sort of feel there is kind of an us versus them type of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but look, there is a danger, I think, in Christians just being, you know, comfortable. And I've put up pictures of first century in St Paul's for beautiful auditorium we have and circumstances we meet mm. and so there is a danger of we become comfortable and we think the gospel is about us yes and i just want to keep laying on the hearts of people at our church the law has put us here for a reason that's to reach people um, and some of the awkwardness that may happen in conversations is is things we need to go through um, that's what that's why we're here mm. yeah but i don't think i don't think the other side of that, we've seen aspects of that with the Israel for Now discussion in recent years, where Christians have been marginalised and so on. Mm. Like I, I think that creates other issues. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Raj, for being on the podcast. And it's thanks, a, Candy. Yeah, my first time for me. I will hope that the answers have been helpful for um, you guys and looking forward to seeing you guys on Sunday. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. Great. Thanks, Candy. Thanks.